millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Anna, and I'm here with my two friends, Will and Ant. Hi. Hello. This week, we are talking about the year 777. Bingo. 777. <laughs> um, the year 777,777. Exactly. I'd like us all to give a prediction for, <laughs> for what Earth will be like then. Um, no, 777, way back in the day. And let's have our three-word summaries. Will... Known for wifing. Known mm. for wifing. Nice. I love uh, wifing as a word. <laughs> I'm so glad it's caught on. Ant? Time ain't real. Time. <laughs> Sorry, time ain't real. Correct. Uh-huh. This that is going to be great. Instantly makes me so nervous. No, no. You should be nervous because you're going to have your mind blown. I can't there wait. There we go. Brilliant. Well, mine's fairly straightforward. War, peace, library. <laughs> <laughs> And all my questions have been answered. So let's go ahead and get started. All right. I'm going first today and I'm going to take us back to the Muslim world uh, and things that were happening in it very near to the year 777. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is great. Because um, there was a thing that happened in 777, but I couldn't really explain it without giving context. So here okay, we go. Yeah, yeah, All right. So in the early 700s, the Islamic world is ruled by the Umayyad Caliphate. Uh, they're in charge, but by the middle of the century, they've got some challengers called the Abbasids. And the Abbasids were descended from a man named Abbas, hence mm -hmm. Abbasids. Mm -hmm. Pretty straightforward. And Abbas was one of the uncles of the Prophet Muhammad, who came from the same clan as him. Hmm. So the Abbasids claimed to be the Prophet's true successors by having a closer bloodline yep. to him than the Umayyads who were in charge. Because everyone's always succeeded by their uncle. Exactly. <laughs> Uncles and nephews are, it's the mm. way to go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and in 743, the Umayyad caliph dies and there's a bit of a power vacuum and the Abbasids realize this is their time to sort of rush in and fill the vacuum and establish their... Abbasid. Uh, Bosshood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the the Abbasids. Um, I, I just as a sidebar, you guys have ruined me because now I really want to pronounce it dynasty, which sounds really stupid coming from me. Yeah, Duck Dynasty. <laughs> That's how you say it. Duck Dynasty. All right. So uh, in 747, the Abbasids kick off a revolt. They fight for a few years. And in 750, they're victorious. And a main named Asafa is proclaimed caliph. And does anyone want to guess what Asafa means? Asafa? Uh, big 
good dude. Big good dude. Um, gingerbread man. <laughs> Will's closest. It's blood shedder. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that sounds like a boss orc. Yeah, like you know, from <laughs> yeah. Lord of the Rings. And it's a little unclear if he chose. So this is his lacab. This is his like nickname title yeah. um, honorific. And it's a little unclear if he chose blood shedder because he was a blood shedder or if it was to intimidate his enemies. Mm. But um, he does sort of live up to the name because he exiles the last Umayyad ruler, then has him and every male member of his family, except for one, executed. Mm. It's really compensating, I suppose, for being a gingerbread man. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, which is not fearsome or intimidating. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's all the that's the famous gingerbread ruse. They lure you into mm-hmm. this false sense of security, and then they. Can I make a prediction on the story? Yeah. That one person, that one boy, he didn't uh-huh. kill. He's going to regret this. <laughs> um, I guess we'll find out. We will. Yeah. So Asafa only rules for four years because he dies of smallpox. Oh in 754 and he's succeeded by his brother al-mansur who is really considered the founding caliph of the abbasid dynasty uh, because he's the one who consolidates power and solidifies the abbasids as the preeminent ruling dynasty of the muslim world al-mansur has a bumpy first few years in charge there's lots of revolts popping up all over the place but he squashes them pretty handily even though he is not the bloodshedder um but he is ultimately caliph for 22 years, dying mm. in 775, which is famously just two <laughs> years away uh-huh. from the mm. year we're supposed to be talking uh-huh. about. So close. Uh, and would you like to guess what his lakab means, what al-Mansur means? Cake. I'm not sure. <laughs> Are you guys hungry? I think <laughs> Gingerbread and cake? I don't um, know. Cuddle fiend. <laughs> <laughs> Cuddle fiend? Owl neck. Owl. <laughs> Uh, those are both better than what it actually is, which is the victorious. Oh. Yeah. But anyway, these guys are pretty good at choosing their names. Um, there's a lot of bloodshed and stuff I could talk about, like Al-Mansur imprisoning and killing his uncle or assassinating his army general after he got too popular. But honestly, we've heard too many stories like that. So I'm going to talk about something entirely different. Urban planning. <laughs> finally (laughs) this is what i want (laughs) yep uh so one of the many things that al-mansur does is uh he realizes that he has to solidify the abbasid's position on the throne and in order to do that he has to move the capital away from damascus Uh where the umayyads had have it so he decides decides to construct a brand new city and that city is Baghdad. Oh, yeah. oh wow. okay. So that's where the famous Baghdad roundabouts. Baghdad uh, roundabouts. It's all down to him. All yeah. Multi-story car parks. Um, yeah. I've heard spaces. both of you complain about the overly strict zoning ordinances in Baghdad <laughs> more times than I so can count. so tough to set up a food stall there. Yeah. You so believe it. it all goes back to this guy, <laughs> Al-Mansur, whose name actually means the... Al neck. <laughs> the lollipop man. Good. Uh, so Amansur chooses a site along the eastern bank of the Tigris River, strategically positioned to facilitate trade and communication between the eastern and western regions of the caliphate, which is now quite sprawling and gets even bigger during the Abbasid rule. And since this is the Fertile Crescent, the land is also fertile. 
Yeah, yeah. And crescent shape. <laughs> <laughs> you, you really can just plow as many crescents out of that thing as you want. Really. I know, they're just all over the place. Uh, so the proximity to water is a huge advantage. Uh, what, um, for life? For, for life, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Oh. And that's, this guy, Al Mansour, he's the first one to realize that <laughs> in all of human history. So he's a really smart guy. Everything else was like Dune before that. <laughs> yeah. In our still suits. Just spice. <laughs> Uh, there was already a small settlement called Baghdad, which probably comes from uh, older Iranian words, bag meaning God and dad meaning gifted. So hmm. uh, God gifted. Uh, but Al-Mansur builds on top of this older settlement, greatly expands it, and it becomes uh, comes to be known as Medinat As-Salam or hmm. the city of peace, hmm. which is ironic because there's a word in Arabic, Baghdad, slightly different pronunciation, which means hate. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, what are you going to do? Al-Mansur- Wait, Medina just means city. Medina means city. Salam like, means peace. Oh. City, city. Yeah, Medina Salam, city of peace. Oh, city of peace, city. There's just the one Medina. <laughs> oh, but no, it's, but, not, but it's like, not Medina Al Salam Medina. <laughs> <laughs> is it not Medina Al Salam City? No. <laughs> Does it not say that on the road sign? Welcome to Medina Al Salam City. <laughs> I think it probably doesn't say that. It's like that place in England that's got like hill, 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 hill. Um, there, there's a place where it's got like. Turn, turn up downhill or something or like- oh turnips again how do we switch you off <laughs> i think you need a reason happening yeah i don't know uh so in <laughs> in medina to salam uh, medina uh al mansour lines up huge resources for the project allegedly one hundred thousand workers build the city for four years at a cost of 18 million dinars mm-hmm. which is of course a hundred million dirhams <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't understand it. Sorry, can you convert I... Durham's to 1977 gold bars? Uh, that'd be great. Yeah, the, the size that could fill a freight train shaped cavern. <laughs> Uh, so the workers start in late July 762 because two astrologers believed that the city should be built under the sign of Leo, the lion, who is associated with fire. I guess that's a good thing. Not historically for a city, um, but symbolizes productivity, pride and expansion, which is great. And they also built the city in a circle, which I think is just very cool. So mm. there's this historical sort of circle, which is the old city and then stuff was built up around it. And within a generation of its establishment, Baghdad had already become a hub of commerce and, more importantly, learning. Uh, (laughs) There's one thing I love more than urban planning. It's urban learning. (laughs) Um, Medicine. Medicine. Yes. Yeah. Medicine. That's the word that pops into my head. They learned that. Philosophy. Philosophy. They love uh, science, astronomy, astrology. Computer science. Computer science. (laughs) Yep. There's a big hub for that. A lot of like vocational schools where you could learn how to be a a programmer gender criticality (laughs) famously yes (laughs) jet propulsion underwater basket weaving all all of the things uh and it was the preeminent intellectual center in the muslim world and then perhaps the world at large because at this time a lot of other places are kind of famously in a dark age Mm. uh so baghdad is the place you want to go and Al-Mansur was also the person who spearheaded the famous Abbasid translation movement, wherein he and his scholars rounded up thousands of ancient texts in Sanskrit and Greek and other languages uh, to translate them. And this included works by Ptolemy. It included Elements by Euclid, which I'm given to understand is about 
math or something. <laughs> um, and in fact, this translation movement is the reason we have a lot of ancient Greek texts to this day, because if they hadn't been translated into Arabic and then later into other languages, they probably would have been lost. Mm. Uh, what with the various collapses of Greek civilization over the years. And the heart of this translation movement was something called the Beit al-Hikmah, or the House of Wisdom, which was a massive library, an intellectual hub, uh, and a place that scholars from all around the world came together to flock to, to translate in. Um, it just sounds like paradise, honestly. If you just plot me down in Baghdad in the late 760s, and <laughs> yeah, I'll I'm be sure as happy great. as a clam. Yeah. <laughs> No notes. Uh, yep. So anyway, as I mentioned, Al-Mansur dies in 775. Um, there are a couple of conflicting accounts about his death, but one that I liked said that he was in, he was buried in Mecca and a hundred graves were dug around the city as decoys so that nobody could find his actual grave uh, to violate it. Just smart. Hmm. Although you think if you, it wouldn't actually take you that long to pill for all hundred and <laughs> find really? the one if that had one the body in it. The shovel, I yeah, that's get true. Through more that's than, true. What two or three a night? Two really. or three a yeah. night. Yeah, and you work hard. I do. Uh, <laughs> one final My medical research needs more studies. <laughs> <laughs> one final fact about Al Mansur that I loved is that he was notoriously frugal, and he had the nickname Abu Al Duanik, which means the father of small change. <laughs> I just think it's. So it's such a diss. It's kind of is or or like he just had a lot of pocket change. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Hang he on, Abu uh, Al Duanik. Al Duanik. Yeah, I'm going to use that. Yeah, with it's really good. The <laughs> yeah. father of small change. Yeah. Uh, he was said to know everything that was happening in his empire, from social unrest to the price of figs. And I guess it paid off because when he died, the caliphate's treasury contained 14 million dinars, which is, of course, 600 million well, dirhams. You know what they say, <laughs> look after the dirhams, the dinars will take care of themselves. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so there you go. That's just a little bit about the establishment of the Abbasid Caliphate, Al-Mansur, the founding of Baghdad, and the price of figs. <laughs> That's good. Torpenow Hill. Excuse me? Torpenhow Hill is the place name in England. That means torp means hill. Uh-huh. Tor. And how means hill. Tor is And how means hill. Okay. And so it actually means hill, 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 hill. Ah. Uh, I thought you were putting some sort of like, Irish curse on me. <laughs> no, no. Torpenhow Hill. And uh, uh, also, it apparently doesn't exist, but it's a... Part- <laughs> Yeah, so um, apparently it's like a, it's an example of a ghost word that people just invented because they thought it'd be funny to invent this word that means this thing and doesn't exist. So okay, <laughs> I have no reaction to this. <laughs> well, it's your go. <laughs> <laughs> this week, I'm going to talk about Queen Hildegard, who was the second wife of Charlemagne. And her life is in many ways com- very remarkable, but also in many ways it is it is completely typical of many women throughout history who are sadly only chronicled and remembered as a result of who they married and where and to whom they were born and basically only insofar as their lives were connected with more powerful men. Yeah. Yeah. 
I started this podcast wanting to get away from it, and now I realize I've actually just tied myself to two more very powerful men <laughs> who I will be defined. The annals of history will have exactly. you as a footnote. Exactly. <laughs> um, so you'll see, you'll have much in common with her as I talk, uh, talk about oh, her life. What was her name? Hildegard? Hildegard. Great name. So she was born around 754, and she was the daughter of a Germanic count called... Dracula. He's Romanian. Chocula. Wasn't chocula. Was on. Chocula. Count Chocula. Romanian. Yeah, yeah. He was a Romanian chocolate. So, a Germanic <laughs> count called Gerald of Kreischgau. No, there is no one called Gerald in the 8th century. G- Gerald? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's It's better. with an O, to be fair. <laughs> Good. Gerald of Kreischgau. And at the heart of the reason for her marriage to Charlemagne was the, was the political fact that her father owned large tracts of land mm. in the area huge tracts, tracts of land, of land. <laughs> huge tracts and a tract we as we all know is about 40 meters square yeah that's about <laughs> is that true 50 million dinar 50 million dinar <laughs> No. Uh, and and this was in the area ruled by Charlemagne's younger brother, a guy called Carloman. So he was super keen to marry her so he could strengthen his position east of the Rhine yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and bind yeah. uh, the local of nobility course. to his side. So, this is pre-Holy Roman Empire? Yes. Because he was crowned in 800? That's right. Okay. Um, and then Charlemagne's brother died suddenly. And so it became even more important to try to both incorporate his brother's lands into his like Charlemagne core kingdom. Yeah. Uh, and mm. then also to try and weaken the uh, claim on the throne of his brother's children, his nephews. Yeah. So as a nephews. result... Nephews. Nephews. That's right. <laughs> they, they inherit. <laughs> What's up here? <laughs> from earlier we were talking about uncles and nephews nephews are historically very important this is true yeah yeah or they're a threat is what they are that's why (laughs) i don't have any so so the wedding between charlemagne and hilgard took place sometime before the 30th of april 771 uh, after the end of his marriage to his previous wife the lombardian uh, princess desiderata Mm. uh, and uh which is a great name and so you can do the math uh, Mattox here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was born in 754. Yeah. The wedding was 771. Uh-huh. So that would make her age... 17? Exactly yeah. right. Yet history is, is completely emphatic in recording that she was 12 or 13 when she got married. Oh. <laughs> so which, which is a testament to both how appalling the society was at the time and also how dumb history is. Yeah. <laughs> Unless there was like a weird gap in the 760s where a bunch of years just disappeared. I it's need so- you to hold that thought. Oh. Anna McCauley. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry, Will. Please I'm, continue. I'm holding it. Wait, hang on. Are we suggesting... Okay, we'll come... I'm not going to get into this. Oh, we okay. are. We're not just suggesting, Will. We're oh, asserting. Good God. <laughs> okay, so girls girls at the time could be married any time after puberty. And in Roman law, which the church was super into upholding, any, any age after 12 was, was deemed acceptable at the cool. time. Yeah, <laughs> completely fine, apparently. Uh, so in the subsequent 12 years of marriage, Hildegard had eight pregnancies, including Ooh. one set of twins. And uh, she accompanied Charlemagne on, on many of his military campaigns. And she gave birth to her second child and her first daughter, Adelaide, during the siege of Pavia. Uh, the capital of the of the Lombards in 774. Uh, but the child then died on the return home to France. And uh, she accompanied her, her husband as far as Aquitaine, where she gave birth to twin boys, Louis and Lothar. I like that she was just like on a birth tour around Europe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. And I guess she was just pregnant constantly. Well, this is so. the, the main thing that's recorded about her life, yeah. you know, is like where, where she gave birth to these children. Yeah. Uh, wow. And uh, <laughs> so the, uh, and in 780, she travels with Charlemagne and four of their children to Rome, where the sons Louis and Carloman were then appointed sub-kings of Aquitaine 
in Italy, respectively. King and of the submarines. King of the su- king of <laughs> or the sandwiches. Yeah. King of the su- king of the euros. <laughs> and, uh, and this all this was all about strengthening the alliance between the Carolingians, the papacy, and everyone else. He wanted to try and strengthen the alliance uh, with uh, as he built up. And Neptune, area. god of the sea. Mm-hmm. And Neptune, god of the, god of the sea. <laughs> Famously fickle god. <laughs> Switched alliances a lot. Who lived in a submarine? Well, no, you apparently. had to visit him with a submarine. Of course. Yeah. Well, don't be an idiot. <laughs> and there's a lovely oblique reference in the history books to their sex life, which records that Ooh. quote because of her frequent pregnancies, it can be presumed that Hildegard accompanied her husband on very many of his campaigns. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, which which is, I guess, nice. A nice thing, I suppose. So, um, so during the time that she was pregnant with twins in 778, Hildegard then established a big interest in astronomy and. Um, uh, while with Charlemagne on his Spanish campaign, uh, it was believed that she was the astronomer that is mentioned by the chronicles at the time, which is pretty cool and is, is perhaps it's literally the only detail of any kind of personal interest or personality that yeah. history affords her. Yep. Everything else is just in her capacity as someone who births other people. Yeah, yeah. as a breed uh, so, bear. Yeah. So it's yeah. just appalling, really. It but, is appalling, but I'm very glad that she liked astronomy. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. And, and this person, who we think was Hildegard, also mapped then the locations of where Charlemagne was camped along on, on his yeah. marches on the campaign yeah. um and yeah so it's nice that she the history at least affords her one point of personality yeah. basically yeah. in the yeah. whole thing it's just like i don't know i can just ma- imagine this poor young girl traipsing around muddy europe to well, campaign after campaign and honestly she was better off than 99 yeah. percent oh, yeah. of- and her only respite was now and again oh look a, a, yeah. a, a and, thing and it yeah. i don't she know was, what it is she was yeah. treat- she, she, she was treated pretty well with i think as well so, yeah, so, yeah, okay. so polygamy was really common at the time in that particular part of uh, um, so you're saying she treated really well polygamy was a thing <laughs> but, but she she was she was um, monogamously married to charlemagne oh, during her but he got life. to fuck about right no, I, we think we think not. So we think they were wow. pretty faithful to each other, that's um, good. And, and then and, until her death, sadly. Uh, so she died in seven eighty three, um, and uh, according to to Paul uh, the deacon, in the wake of her last childbirth. Yeah. So, which I guess you could kind of see that coming with yeah. child after child at the time. You know where she would have loved to go? Cornwall, Baghdad. Oh, yeah. yeah, she would have she loved it. Learning. Astronomers all over the shop. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and and she was buried the following day in the uh, Abbey of Saint Arnaud in Metz. And following the wishes of Charlemagne, near her grave were burning candles and daily prayers were said for her soul. So uh, and um, generally he was he was genuinely quite sad about. Oh, uh, that's about actually her death. pretty nice. But there you have it. So I think it's just worth recording um, her life really because she. Uh, almost nothing was said about yeah. her personality during the whole thing. There's one little nugget in there of who she actually was yeah. shining through. There you are, Queen Hildegard, wife of Charlemagne. Kill Hild- Queen Hildegard, yeah. I bet that deep down she knew one day she would be discussed on a podcast <laughs> by three absolute buffoons. <laughs> and well, I, mean, I, I bet it gave her some hope. You know, you're right. I mean, people just completely disregarded her, like in history and also probably probably during her life quite a bit. And um, yeah. Now here she is. Now she's been thoroughly disrespected. The, yeah, the gr- the greatest honor yes, the a greatest human honor could have. Wow. Amen. In the shadow of Charlemagne. Well said. Speaking of Charlemagne, today, remember that thought that you were holding? Yep. Still holding it? The Time disappeared. Time disappeared. So first of all, uh-huh. I'm gonna, I need to embark on a journey. Okay. Right? So we're going on a journey through time, which is the concept of this whole thing. Uh-huh. But 
not just through time, but about time. Uh-huh. And right. first of all, I want to explore a little corner of Austria in a place called Kremunster and the establishment of Kremunster Abbey. And so we're going to go there, conceptually, not physically. I don't think Ryanair goes there. But I need you to join me, please. So... Off we trot. The founding of Cremonster Abbey in well, 777 AD. Well, did you forget to drop acid? Because <laughs> I definitely forgot, but I think Ansa had a The us. Bavarian nobleman <laughs> Tassilo III. Oh, he founded it. He was, is a Benedictine monastery located in Upper Austria. The abbey served as a religious and cultural center for the region. Uh, Ta- Tassilo loved setting up monasteries. He had loads of money. He was a duke. And it promoted Christianity, this, this you know, burgeoning Christianity in the, in the region, and nurturing education and scholarship. Over the centuries, Cremonster Abbey, it flourished. It gained renown for its extensive library, which I think is hilarious because it's probably just like different copies of the Bible. <laughs> yeah, um, what else are you going to put in a library? But as an educational institute, attracting scholars from far and wide. And it's actually still, you know, today it remains a cherished cultural and historical landmark. So oh. it's, it's sort of stood the test of time. But during this time, Duke Tassler III is in this political landscape during his reign where the the tides of power in Europe are shifting and in the early medieval period. And he's a prominent figure in the Aglofing dynasty, which was uh, as ruling as the Duke of Bavaria. And he remained, he retained diplomatic relations with the Carolingian dynasty. Uh-huh. So that was led by Charles Martel. Uh-huh. And then later, the very famous, married to Queen Hildegard, uh, Charlemagne, who sought to ex, uh, exact control over Germanic regions. So while initially the Duke was able to maintain some autonomy, Tasso III eventually faced accusations, was summoned, uh, and he was uh, summoned by Charlemagne, and was uh, faced accusations of rebellion and treason, and he had to submit to Charlemagne's authority, and Bavaria was incorporated into the Carolingian Empire. Mm. So this is sort of how Austria came part of the fold. And it wasn't through necessary direct conflict and war but it was because the power they they just saw they're completely overwhelmed by this carolingian dynasty and uh yeah we're able to Mm. like just 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 completely just get folded in cool okay so quick question Uh charlemagne yeah was he a time traveler true (laughs) Mm, not not maybe did he exist yes are we sure pretty sure okay Follow-up question. Oh, God. What year is it? So Cur- to, currently? Cur- what, currently, what year it is? Is it? 2016. <laughs> it's not 2016. 2023. 20, uh, or, or, or is it 1724? Oh, is this Pope Gregory? <sighs> oh, Pope fucking Gregory. Yeah. Let me introduce you the phantom time theory. So, some... It's <laughs> the phantom time theory. So, this theory... Sorry, hang on. Just to clarify, are we still... Uh, We're still talking about 77. About an abbey still. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you started an abbey, we've gone to Charlemagne, and now we've now transgressed across sort of liminal space and time to yeah. talk about the concept of time itself. Okay. And the right, phantom- so, so the answer to my question is no. It's no, long, <laughs> it's no longer about an abbey. It's now about something totally different. <laughs> no, it's all tied together. Right, okay. In one Strap web in, of lies. Here we go. Okay, so the phantom time theory is a theory that suggests that a 297-year period from about 614 to 911 AD didn't exist. 911, suspicious. Yeah, exactly. It was entirely fabricated 
or misdated on purpose or otherwise by historians. Therefore, the current year is something like 1724. But so, what about all the things that happened? <laughs> did they, though? Did they? And this, is, this coincides with what we call the Dark Ages, when there is actually precious little recorded. Except so, in the region that I just talked about. Well, look, 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 look at you with your regions. <laughs> okay. I don't, I, time flows in different ways. Anyway, so the motives, right? <laughs> While I have the soapbox behind the alleged conspiracy are attributed to the Holy Roman Emperor Otto III, and Pope Sylvester II, and the Byzantine Emperor Constantine the Seventh, who sought to legitimize their reigns by linking them to significant historical periods. So this uh-huh. is sort of backwards and t- looking back in time at this time and saying, okay, we need to have a better lineage of our rules and stuff like that. So let's come up with this. So um, they, you know, there's several claims in this. Uh, firstly, it suggests the missing years, as I mentioned, and rendered figures like Charlemagne and the Carolingian Empire misaligned with history or potentially completely fictitious. I don't necessarily believe that, but misaligned with history. So um, they argue because the Gregorian calendar's introduction in 1582 aimed to obscure these missing years and align historical timelines with the fabricated narrative such as it was. And so effectively, this theory is suggesting that this whole time span was kind of a bit more uh, misaligned than it was. And then the phantom time theory comes into effect okay hold on hold on yeah hold on so okay no yeah. so let's just <laughs> no questions this. yeah no questions. otto constantine the seventh yeah and some other guy pope sylvester the second pope sylvester the seventh yep. second decided to yep. erase 300 years of history because they wanted to align their rule with more important times they they wanted to rule no they didn't erase history they just changed history so that they could have a more legitimate rule it makes total sense i don't understand why you can't understand any of this but okay well, can i yeah i've mm-hmm. just got a couple of questions <laughs> yep so there's, uh, there's there's quite a lot of history recorded from 400 to 700 i mean sure yes no sorry will famously we're talking about 690 690s whatever 670 to, to, to 614 to 911 yeah yeah 614 to 911 okay 614 to, to 9 name one thing that happened other than the two things you just discussed. <laughs> yeah, like so much happened. Look. We should have had Ant go first, then we wouldn't have had to do our things. <laughs> Look, this is absolute bananas theory. I don't actually believe in it. I love- Yes, you do. I see the fire in do, your eyes. Do you know what would be great? What would be good? If we as a podcast decide to subscribe to this theory and therefore, <laughs> and therefore refuse it. to cover any years between- It would give us like 300 less years to do. 690 no, yeah, to yeah, 911. Yeah. It would be great. But like, it just goes to show, I just stumble across this. So this is too hilarious that people and there's probably is some misalignments of dates and some misremember but a grand conspiracy covering all aspects of the globe yeah well, that was using gregorian calendar is just yeah, too yeah. much to, which like it falls down at so many stages of, cor- of course it does and like you know astronomical observations true. you know are cited as supporting factors because there was no like you know sort of these these uh, comments that come around a certain period periods. yeah they're always they've always been recorded in history yeah but they're not recorded in some parts of the world at some parts of the dark ages right and they're like oh go smoking that's gun that's it anyway so in conclusion classic while the founding of Cremonster Abbey sheds life on sick lies sorry on- we're back to the Abbey <laughs> what do you mean we're back to the Abbey yeah well well your problem is you're thinking of time as too linear and especially during ant segments it's best to think of it as just sort of a swirling Melange. mass look so what happened is we were talking about a building yeah and yeah. dropped some acid <laughs> and now we're back to this building yeah. this is madness yeah look i'm not saying i did a lot of research <laughs> i'm not saying i wrote a very coherent script but what i am saying 
is that most of what I said didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly. (laughs) Okay, look. Podcast in a nutshell. Uh, Effectively, what it is, is just a sneak peek at the start of Charlemagne's rise to power and how he was able to use political intrigue to gather areas around him and then later on um, uh, maybe a pope who lied about a calendar is that what it's about uh, that's what it's about that's amazing you talked about city planning <laughs> <laughs> amazing well since it is not the year 2023 but rather sometime in the 1700s mm-hmm. i've got to go have a baby <laughs> yes you do yeah, so yeah, we yeah. should wrap it up <laughs> yeah i've actually got to uh bring in the harvest and give it to malige lord uh, will <laughs> That, that tracks. His tithing needs to be paid. <laughs> Good. That was a bit unhinged. All right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, welcome back to Linear Time. Uh, that is everything you'd ever need to know about the year 777, if it did exist. We'll which never know. We maybe, can't prove. Maybe not. So, Will, uh, can you please pick us a year that did exist? from the random number generator uh no the random number generator will pick the year Sorry, i will respectfully yeah. power it up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and request that With it picks reverence. a year yes, <laughs> yes. and for the next episode the next year will be 15 and 19 amazing Ooh. 1208 <laughs> 1519, that's great. Closest to Shakespeare we've probably been, right? Okay, cool. The discovery, the year of the discovery of Washington, D.C. Uh, Is that um, true? I don't think so. I don't know, maybe. Okay, yeah. Again, discovery (laughs) with a massive asterisk. That was 1994 or something, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm not sure it's been discovered. It might still be a swamp. There you go. See you next time. Great, see you then. Bye.